0: M, before we start, we should say a big thank you to all our amazing followers. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or one of the other totally cool apps, or on YouTube, thank you for your commitment and support to our show.
1: Yes, everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you. And a reminder, if you haven't followed, rated, reviewed, or commented on our show, please take the time and give us some feedback. We read every message and we are so inspired by your encouraging words and it really helps us to grow our show.
0: And finally, don't forget you can also catch previews of our coming shows on our Instagram and Facebook page every day. Go find us at How to English Pod.
1: Alright, Gav, now let's get on with the show.
0: Welcome everybody. This is How to English. Teach and learn with
1: Gav and M. It's a podcast about teaching and learning English as a
0: foreign language. All opinions stated are personal and references will be given when necessary. Welcome back to today's show, Em.
1: Hello, Gav.
0: Are you ready to talk about today's topic?
1: I'm ready and I think this one is a very interesting and important topic, so I am raring to go. That
0: is very cool. So today's episode is 22, Neurodiversity.
1: Whether you're a teacher who has neurodivergent students or if you're just interested in the topic, because it's something we should all be aware of, Gav.
0: That's absolutely right. Now to help us with today's topic, Em, we have Anna from Polka Languages. Anna trains teachers to work with dyslexic, multilingual learners... Make sure you visit Anna's links in our show notes and fill out her Google survey to receive her ebook titled Get Unstuck With Your Speaking. Anna also organises online webinars for exam skills for neurodivergent students and guides English language teachers to help unleash their students' potential.
1: You can find Anna on Instagram, you can also find a link in our show notes to her online course called Dyslexia in ESL Classroom, which is for English language teachers. Anna's resources can also be great for parents if they want
0: some tips and tricks on how to support their own child's learning. Em, as we've got so much to cover in today's show, I thought we could divide Anna's recording into seven parts. Part one is titled Space. And that space as in the learning environment. The physical space we will teach and learn in. Part two is signals.
1: Signals like cues that the teacher gives to the students and ways to get attention, that kind of thing. That's
0: it. Part three is testing.
1: Testing, you mean revision and testing understanding of the language.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Part four is breaking it down. In this
1: section, we'll learn about chunking and breaking words into graphemes and
0: phonemes. Part five is practice. Which we all need to do, Gav. That's it. We're going to put all our skills into practice. Part six is called structure. That makes sense. It's a bit like this. Yes,
1: we are very structured today, aren't we?
0: We're very, very organised. And finally, part seven is step by step.
1: Which I suppose we'll find out when we get there.
0: Great. Before we listen to Anna, first of all, let's have some definitions of terms when talking about neurodiversity. Neurodiversity is an umbrella term which covers dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Tourette's and autism. Neurodivergent people experience, interact and interpret the world around them in unique ways which are different to neurotypical people. The term neurodiversity highlights that there is no right way of thinking or learning. Variation is normal and most importantly, difference does not mean deficit. However, this can lead to challenges for neurodivergent people, especially in settings like the workplace and education, where the environment might not always be accessible to people with a variety of learning needs and cognitive styles. And that definition came from Queen Mary Academy from their article on creating inclusive curriculums.
1: And during this episode, we'll also be supplementing this discussion with information from Michelle Swan's website, which is HelloMichelleSwan.com. Michelle's been working as a disability rights advocate for over a decade, focusing on the needs and rights of the neurodivergent community. At Michelle's website, you can find invaluable articles, tips and links on how to prepare your classroom to be barrier-free, supporting emotional growth and developing effective communication strategies. Plus, we'll share plenty of other links along the way. Great.
0: Now, let's start by meeting Anna. Hi, it's
2: me, Anna Karbowska from Polka Languages. Thank you for having me. So today, I will be talking about tips for neurodivergent students and how to accommodate them in the ELT classroom. I just wanted to reiterate that I work main, mainly with dyslexic and the ADED students and I train teachers on how to work with dyslexic ESL or multilingual learners. So I will focus on that. So let's start. If we talk about ELT classroom so general classroom in general, with ADHD students, definitely minimize strong smiles. Ensure good ventilation, but it goes without saying for the fast Provide space for relaxing and sensory deprivation if necessary. Provide ver- a variety of options for sitting, make space and encourage movement, offer a var- variety of activities.
1: Thank you, Anna. So as Anna said, the learning space for ADHD students should be well ventilated. Consider having a space for sensory deprivation if necessary. A variety of seating like classroom seats and desks, bean bags on the floor, or an area to stand for movement and play. Also consider a quiet space for the student to take a little time out, especially if they're feeling overstimulated, or maybe an area for deep pressure therapy, which involves deep touch pressure, and that's referred to as DTP. It can be achieved through firm stroking, hugging, squeezing, compression, or swaddling.
0: And if we take a look at Michelle's sensory-friendly classroom graphic from her website, she recommends for visuals, reduce visual input in some areas of the room, keep desks free of clutter, make clearly defined areas with some open spaces, use natural light inside and offer sunglasses indoors and outdoors.
1: Well, I'd say natural light is best for everybody. Some considerations for audio sensitivity is just avoiding unnecessary noise from machinery and prevent noise from outside coming into the classroom. Provide ear defenders or noise cancelling headphones if necessary.
0: That's it for touch. You could encourage students to wear comfortable clothes and shoes, minimise temperature changes and make a variety of textures available for exploration.
1: And as Anna mentioned, smell is another thing to consider. Make sure there's good ventilation. Try and minimise strong smells. Wear low-fragrance personal hygiene products and offer individual pleasant smell
0: alternatives. That sounds absolutely fascinating. And finally, taste. Accept it as normal that some students will eat a limited range of predictable foods and also remove dangerous substances from the room if there is a risk of ingestion. Now let's return to Anna.
2: Have the code when your student starts um, drifting away. Have some sort of a code that is very simple and does not um, draw attention to the student so that we bring him or her back to the classroom.
0: That's it. Keep it in mind that you need a code or signal to draw the attention of drifting students back to the lesson. So, I had a quick look around, Em, and found some of these call and response signals to draw students' attention back to the lesson. So, they're focused on the teacher, or they're focused on the activity, on the board, etc. Would you like me to demonstrate some of these?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Here we go. One, two, three. Eyes on me. Nice. How about this one, Em? Flat tyre, shh, and the whole group shh together. That's nice. Give me five. Students raise their hands. Mm. Are you listening? And the response is, yes, we are.
1: So the question has to be responded to with an
0: answer. That's it. And if your students are not responding, it means they're not focused and you need to bring their attention back to the activity. Another one is, break it down and then students start dancing. Uh Hocus pocus. And the students say... Time to focus.
1: Oh, I like that one.
0: That's great, isn't it? Another one is macaroni and cheese. Everybody freeze. (laughs) These are really fun. That's it. They freeze. And um, I think the students are going to have loads of fun responding Mm. to these. Hands on top. That means stop. Students place their hands on their heads. So they stop fiddling with things, they stop looking out the window and their attention comes immediately straight back when you shout hands on top. Mm. And one more, if you can hear my voice, clap once and students clap their hands.
1: I like those. They're very effective, I think, if you repeat them. They're immediately identifiable and the students all know exactly what they mean.
0: And if one of your students is not focusing and they hear all the other students replying to the teacher's instruction then you'll know that it's time to focus again on the lesson. Thank you to ThoughtCo.com for some of their tips and tricks to get students' attention.
1: And Michelle Swan also adds, it's really important to speak clearly, to offer information in more than one phrasing.
0: How would that be, Em?
1: Repeating the information in a different way.
0: Ah, different construction.
1: Yes, more than once. Allow time for processing, which is a very, very good point. And support with other methods of communication. So maybe hand gestures. Pictures. Exactly. Offer scripts to use in specific situations. And also consistently model the desired use of spoken language without expecting quick uptake.
0: So that would be demonstrating the language, but expect it to take... Time for the students to be able to produce that language. Yeah,
1: and lastly accept approximations. So it might not be right first time. That's it. In this next section, Gav, Anna is going to talk about chunking and low stakes testing, which I hadn't heard of before.
0: Me neither. This is going to be very interesting.
2: I'd say first and foremost, chunk it down and it's for it works for all the students. I know that very often we suffer from knowledge bias, so we think everything is so simple, you know, chunk it down. The smaller, the better, and I'm not joking, the smaller, the better, because then we can ensure that the students really follow through and they do not get lost. So that's uh, about ADHD students. Of course, we could, like, talk for hours. However, I try to make it really short and concise. Um, And before I move on to dyslexic students, uh, I just wanted to add that low-stake tests, are the solution in the ASL in any classroom because they boost retrieval and they're stress-free. So I know you can go through ungrading. However, having the close-take test once a week without crates, with immediate feedback, it is not directed at the student, just in general. It really helps and lowers anxiety. And of course, predictability. We all like predictable things. We are creatures of habit and we like to know what's going to happen next.
0: What do we mean by regular, low-stakes testing, Em?
1: Well, if I got it right, and I remember what Anna said, it's a low-stress test, more like a revision activity at the end of the week, which can boost retrieval and is stress-free, and it should have very little impact on
0: students' grades. One technique could be to use clickers. Have you heard of clickers, Em? No, I haven't, Gav. Well, clickers could be a device. For example, Kahoot is a type of clicker.
1: I've heard of Kahoot.
0: What's Kahoot, Em?
1: That's a game, isn't it, that all the students link up to on their phones or their devices and they can play a kind of quiz-style multiple-choice game?
0: That's it, exactly. So students can use apps to choose from multiple-choice exercises, for example, matching quizzes or choosing the correct spelling, This way the students won't be singled out if they make a mistake but can see what the majority of the class chose and as a group be corrected by the teacher if necessary. Clicker activities can also encourage learners' engagement, participation, involvement and motivation in the class. They can be so much fun. Mm, And it takes the pressure off. That's really good. So it's like a quiz show, but in your classroom, practising, revising, studying again, the language that you have just learnt that week.
1: Exactly. Avoiding singling out students and, you know, picking out one person to answer. But remember, low-stakes testing should not be used for grading, but instead help the teacher to identify areas of support for the whole class.
0: Anna also mentioned to chunk it down, break it into simple parts. She says it can't be too simple. And we'll come back to the benefits of teaching sounds, letters, parts of words for neurodivergent students in the next section M. Firstly, Anna will mention some trends and myths about dyslexic students. As
2: for dyslexic students, first of all, the fall for all the to trends and myths. Many of them are really not true. So dyslexia fonts. Not supported by research or science. If your students like them, that's beautiful. However, there's no research proving that dyslexia fonts work. Color overlays? Absolutely not. That does not work. Do not go for whole language. And by whole language, I mean teaching whole words. Try to teach your students that language is a system. And you can dissect the word. Um, uh, teach graphene phoneme, uh, correspondence. So never teach phonemes in the dark. Always pair it with a graphene. And also use, um, I know that, uh, very often we think, oh, you know, in the classroom, our students, they know the language because they know the first language. However, very often, uh, dyslexic students struggle with the first language as well. And as we know, English orthography is very complex because it's 400 times more complex than Italian or Spanish and 40 times more complex than German. So, um, structured, uh, literacy or structured literacy intervention is something that helps all the students. And by that, I mean dissect the language, uh, go through, um, science of reading resources for ELT classroom. So ditch crushing instead of Elsa, not instead, but ditch crushing for, uh, Elsa Cardenas. She's, she's a researcher and a speech language pathologist. Um, she wrote um, a wonderful book about literacy for, ESL students, so I highly
0: recommend that. Here's an interesting fact about dyslexic students. According to the NHS, it's estimated that up to one in every 10 people in the UK has some degree of dyslexia. So the chances you have a dyslexic student in your class is quite high. Teachers need to be prepared with strategies to support these students. And as a learner, knowing that you're dyslexic can help you develop strategies for learning. Martin Bloomfield, teacher and expert trainer in dyslexia awareness, says, Phonemic awareness, breaking words down into the constituent sounds, is hugely helpful for dyslexic students.
1: Coming back to Anna, she said, Language is a system. Break down whole words. Teach grapheme phoneme correspondence, not phonemes, which are just sounds. Gav, phoneme, grapheme correspondences, what do we mean?
0: Phoneme to grapheme correspondence. Well, M. Phonemes, as you said, are sounds. Graphemes are written symbols that represent a sound.
1: I think I need examples.
0: Think about letters, for example. One letter graphemes are I or O or S and H, and they represent the phonemes I or O or S or H. Okay. Two-letter graphemes could be CH, which represent CH, or SH, which represent SH, or QU, that represent K. There are also three-letter graphemes. EAR could be ear. AIR is air. IGH is I. How many graphemes are there in the word light, M? Um. Well, I guess it's L, L, at the beginning.
1: I in the middle and T at the end,
0: so it's three. Three graphemes, exactly. I've got an example here of a phoneme to grapheme correspondence activity in a classroom by Adrian, who's a K2 school teacher. We're going to watch and listen to the video and maybe you could describe what you can see him.
1: So I can see a kid's classroom and projected onto the whiteboard is a video showing letters and under the letters are pictures and the kids are shouting out. So for example, there's a capital B and a small b and under that there's a picture of a bike with the word bike and the children are shouting out the letter B first and then they're saying the sound, the phoneme, b in a very chanting way which sounds amazing.
0: You've described it perfectly and I think it's an amazing lesson so thank you to Adrian at First Thinkers for his inspiring activity.
1: Yeah there's lots of them and they go through it like a song.
0: Chanting is a great way to practice your pronunciation. If you want to learn more about the sounds of English you can also check out our previous episode on IPA accents pronunciation and vowel sounds. Do you remember which episode that was, Em?
1: Yes, Gav. Episode 21, How to Sound. That was with Bianca and Jasmine. And Anna also referred to Elsa Cardenas Hagen, PhD, who is a bilingual speech language pathologist and a certified academic language therapist. She holds a doctorate degree in curriculum and instruction. She has authored curricular programs book chapters and journal articles related to oracy and literacy development for English language learners. Her book, Literacy Foundations for English Learners, a comprehensive guide to evidence-based instruction, is essential reading as this book prepares current and future educators to teach English learners the key components of language and literacy.
0: And we'll put the link in the show notes for you to purchase your own copy of her book.
1: You can find more information on Dr. Cardenas Hagen in our show notes.
2: Make sure your student understands. And by that, I mean, if you may, because of course, I have no idea what circumstances you're working writing. But make sure that you go from the simplest, especially with students who really struggle with it, like English reading. I mean, like struggle, right? So go through uh, from vowels and consonants, very simple, like, CVC words, I would say one-syllable words, and make sure that your student can read it. And uh, I would highly recommend the codable books. I know that we think the students should be surrounded by literature and they will learn by heart. However, the codable at the very beginning for students who struggle with reading is a game-changer. And also, again, chunk it down, especially for dyslexic students, because they have problems with working memory and sequencing. And
1: there's a lot I want to say. However,
2: <laughs> it would take hours.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Anna. OK, Gav, would you like to explain what a CVC word is?
0: A CVC word is a single syllable, three phoneme or sound word that follows the pattern of consonant sound, vowel sound, consonant sound. M. Um, do you remember your vowel sounds? A, E, I, O and U. Those are the vowel letters but also think about the sounds. So, it's A, E, I, O, etc. Good. A CVC word may have more than three letters, but have only three sounds. M, here's an example activity you could use in your classroom with your students to practice CVC words. Let me give you a copy of it. How would you present this to your students?
1: Right. I'm looking at a big page of lovely pictures and under the picture is a space for a card, looks like a word, fits in the space and then there is
0: a section with lots of words that correspond to the pictures. Em, could you describe the pictures to us that are on that first piece of paper?
1: I can see a dog, a mug, a bed, a sun, a bat, a pot and so on. There are 12 pictures with a space under them So I would put that picture in the centre of the room, give all the students the words, cut up, separate, one word each student, and then all the students have to come and put their word where they think it fits. And they're very nice examples. Dog is d-o-g. And you could do that after the activity of matching. You could ask them what the sounds are, what the three phonemes are. M-a-g. Mug.
0: That sounds like a really fun activity. Yeah, could get a chant going as well with that, couldn't you? You could. You could go around the page. We've got dog, mug, bed, sun, bat, pan. Exactly.
1: And another useful resource for neurodivergent learners are decodable books, as Anna said. Especially for early learners, they can be a game-changer. You can find lists of books online which are suitable for autistic readers, as explained by Emily at theliteracynest.com. She says decodable books are simple books that are written for beginner readers that contain the specific grapheme, phoneme correspondences students have already learned in class. Why is this important? Because they practice the phonics taught in the classroom within the context of a story... Decodable books encourage children to blend and not guess unfamiliar words. Students develop a self-reliant approach to reading in early readers. And the reader experiences immediate success and develops confidence and enthusiasm for reading. And you can search your favourite bookshop or online store for books for autistic learners or check out some online at readinga-z.com, which I guess is... Reading A to Z, but it's a dash in the
0: address. So, that's where you can find your decodable books. Now, M, have got a few titles here to give you an idea of the contents of the books. For example, we've got titles like Barb and Her Car. Nice, that's like Barbara, isn't it? Barb. And the students are practising the controlled R sound. Another title is The Bee and the Flea. This is a long vowel, E.
1: So that's B, like buzz, buzz, B and flea like the ones that make you itch.
0: You might find it in the bed. Mm, I hope not. <laughs> Another title is Boxes and Foxes. And here we practice the inflection and plural endings S and ES. That's cute. Each decodable book has instructions on how to use the books and the sounds that will be practiced with the target spellings along with activities and games to help make learning even more fun.
1: Let's hear some more tips from Anna. Gav? If you're a parent or a caregiver or
2: a teacher and you would like to bring structured literacy to your classroom, and of course I know it's not easy, if you teach younger grades, I'd say kindergarten, grade, um, grade one or two or three, Jolly Phoenix is over way to go. Jolly Phoenix is nice. It's sequenced. Um, it's sequential. Um, there is a scope of the whole program. It's very simple to follow through. It has lots of resources. The songs are available on YouTube. Go for Jolly Phoenix. If you have older students, where was and uh, toe by toe and whole literacy primer, these are resources you should dive in. I would highly recommend that there are videos on YouTube. So, just do it, and well, just to sum it up, I'd say that your dyslexic and ADHD students are ever are capable of learning. They are capable, they can excel at le- language learning, really, but it needs more work. So, I know it can be complicated, especially if we do not have um, resources or help in the classroom. I just wanted to sum up, but both for ADHD and dyslexic students, there are three things that Wag when it comes to English, and that first thing is multisensory grammar it it multisensory grammar uh, originated from the Montessori. however, it just uh, goes um very deeply very simply and explains how the language works, how the son- sentence works, what is a subject, what is an object, what is a predicate, you use symbols so it's more um hands-on experience for students then um, structured web inquiry, students struggle with spelling. And structured inquiry uh, presents the language like a cake for students. So then they know that there is a phonology, morphology, etymology, but the three components. Of course, there are more. And the third thing would be uh, teaching students phonology. And again, I do not expect any teacher to just dive into IPA, a great shift, but just teaching the correspondence and teaching the rules of English because, yes, they are rules. They are really empowering. And they help students grasp And be in charge of the learning because they don't
1: understand that language is like science. So to recap, Anna highlights these three main topics for teachers with neurodivergent students. The first was multi-sensory grammar. The second was structured word inquiries.
0: And the third one was phonology. These are really comprehensive guidelines. Thank you, Anna. Also take a look at Jolly Phonics from Jolly Learning on YouTube you can check out their website and see some demonstration videos. For older students, Anna also mentioned some other resources, including Toe by Toe, who also have a YouTube channel too.
1: We have one more part from Anna to listen to, Gav. And I would like to finish up
2: with um, a very simple, and um,
1: probably everyone knows
2: it, but sometimes we forget about it. Your students are capable. By that I mean the pedagogy of low expectations. And we can, um, our students can excel. If we can build up step by step little chunks on the knowledge they have and start from there, and if your student is struggling, especially if they're dyslexic and it, yeah, or they ADHD, because it comes with low self esteem, just make sure that you add up little bits and pieces to the learning, and you expect a lot of from them, part in smaller chunks. So do not overwhelm them with material, but take them by the hand and just add up and really sometimes it's good to go back to the basics before you try and do something really complicated. Like I'd say before you start playing jazz, you need to know the notes and you need to practice classical music. Second thing is um and I want like uh, that to sink in, um speech is um not evolutionary new to us humankind. However reading is really it is So we will not learn to read by osmosis. thirty to 35% of people will. The rest will need help. And the bottom 5% will need lots of help. But they can do it. So this would be it. Thank you so much for listening to me. And have a great day.
0: Wonderful. So keep in mind those chunks and build strong foundations. And then you can move on to more complex language, as Anna says. Remember, your students are capable. They can do it, but will need some support.
1: Very important to keep that in mind, Gav. We should all reflect on it. We're there to help. Everybody can learn a language, Gav. We just need to help and support our students in the right way.
0: Thank you so much to Anna and also thank you to Michelle and all the other creators of the resources that we used to make today's episode. If you have any questions, please find Anna at polka underscore languages on Instagram and take a look at her resources and workshops. All her links can be found in our show notes. Thanks, Em. This show has been a real education for me. Me too, Gav. See you next time. Bye.